We've never seen so many children admitted to the hospital. BC Children's Hospital prepares to double patients in single rooms amid rising respiratory illness in kids. Plus, and it came late and chased the coyote in and then uh, the coyote turned on it and killed it. Another fatal coyote attack on a beloved dog. The warning from the family in a tragic double blow. The ultimate aim, of course, is to uh, break down our support for Ukraine, but also to target our democracy. And is Canada being targeted by Russian disinformation? The claims and warnings from Canadian experts. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sarah is off tonight. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but we begin with breaking news. RCMP officers visited the headquarters of a nonprofit group in Richmond as part of an investigation into alleged Chinese government foreign interference. The nonprofit is the Wanzhou Friendship Society. According to its website, its mission is uniting the Chinese community. The RCMP's Integrated National Security Enforcement Team visited its headquarters yesterday and officers canvassed the neighborhood this afternoon. Police tell Global News the investigation involves the alleged coercion of Chinese community members by an individual associated with that Richmond address. Police say they also visited locations in the Toronto area yesterday. Reached by phone, a society director confirmed police visited the clubhouse but denied having any knowledge of an alleged link between the group and a foreign interference campaign. And we have more breaking news. The Independent Investigations Office has been called to a violent incident in Surrey's Guilford area this afternoon. It happened near 152nd Street and 100th Avenue. Police vehicles surrounded a car with its door open and bloody clothing on the ground. A tent has been set up over the vehicle and police tape is also up. Emergency Health Services says one person has been taken to hospital in critical condition. Traffic is being diverted around the busy intersection. No word from police or the IIO at this point as to what may have happened. With the rise of respiratory illness in kids across our province, BC Children's Hospital may be forced to place two patients in what are normally single patient rooms. That's according to a memo obtained by Global News. And as Kristen Robinson reports, it comes as the province makes a push to get more kids vaccinated before the holidays. Like pediatric hospitals across the country, BC Children's is facing an increase in patient volume this respiratory season. The waiting room is full right now. I would say a lion's share, if not 90% are kids probably then under the age of 15 months. BC Children's Hospital now planning extreme measures to accommodate the influx of sick kids. A December 9th memo plans for the doubling up of patients in rooms. When medically appropriate, two patients may share a single patient room if required to provide safe care. So it's pretty unusual for us to have to put two patients in a room. Dr. Laura Sove says they had to do it last winter and whenever possible will try to pair patients who don't have any infections. Right now there are no doubled patients, but hospital leadership uh, thought that it was wiser to plan for it before it happened rather than scrambling uh, once the need was already there. Everyone, she says, is working at least 10-hour days amid healthcare staffing shortages. We've never seen so many children admitted to the hospital um, 
either this early or even all at once. Uh, so it's really an unprecedented influenza season so far. Six children have died from flu-related causes this year. The most recent data shows flu vaccination rates remain low, around 21% for children six months to four years old, 20% for 5 to 11, and around 15% for 12 to 17-year-olds. The province hoping a flu shot clinic blitz will get more kids immunized. We've already had the flu once this season and it was pretty bad. Yeah. That combined with the uh, recent deaths, it's just a little too scary. Parent Jason Fuchs knows BC Children's is the gold standard for care and he worries about staff potentially taking on more patients. It would be inc incredibly concerning to me where the burnout happens for them is having to, you know, to have extra um, patients in a room. Because the ER here is so busy, families can use the 811 health information line to decide whether a hospital visit is necessary. Kristen Robinson, Global News. BC care homes are also being hard hit by seasonal illnesses right now, but it's not the residents who are getting sick, it's staff. Some sites, especially in the interior, have been reporting flu cases and RSV. Many still have COVID, but overall the impact on seniors has been relatively mild. Experts say that's largely due to the fact seniors are the most protected in terms of vaccinations. The greater impact right now is staff at care homes booking off sick time. Staffing continues to be an issue because we simply don't have enough people uh, to fill all the shifts, which is why, you know, some long term care beds remain closed, despite the real need to get people out of hospital and into long term care. But we simply have uh, an HHR crisis uh, that continues. Lake says the staffing situation will be improved when the single site order winds down at the end of the year, allowing workers to pick up shifts at different facilities. A snowfall warning has been lifted for the sea to sky region, but not before the system created quite the mess for those traveling between Vancouver and Whistler this morning. The snow began falling Friday evening with 15 to 25 centimeters expected by this afternoon. Social media posts had one person describing the Squamish to Whistler section as the worst they had ever seen it. There were vehicles spun out and trucks off to the side of the highway. Meantime, Highway 1 in the Fraser Canyon has been reopened to traffic. It was closed in both directions overnight between Hope and Lytton due to an avalanche hazard. Highway 8 was also not available as a detour for commercial vehicles because of construction. We're still waiting for an update from RCMP on a possible hit and run in Pitt Meadows that's left a cyclist with very serious injuries. Crews responded to Ford Detour Road near McTavish Friday night. Investigators appeared to be focused on the side of the road and had cones set out. The road was closed for several hours. We've asked RCMP for an update and we'll bring you the latest as it comes in. Another dog has been killed by a coyote in the Tri-Cities area. It's the second time this has happened in just over a month. As Julie Foy reports, while the dog's human had a very special connection with her, he's not blaming the coyotes. The dog loved me and my daughter knew the dog loved me, so we brought the dog back. She was quite happy here. Port Moody resident John Bale is still sad over the loss of his 14-year-old dog, Cinder. He was walking the trails near his home on Monday with his three dogs when suddenly they ran across a coyote. All of a sudden he snarled and I knew he'd encountered wildlife. He ran through that gap over there 
to the edge of this road and I called him off. But he, there was still a lot of barking going on. So we ran down and the coyote was standing almost on the road. Cinder was not scared of the coyote, but her bravery cost her her life. I was over there, great, and I saw the coyote run down here a bit. And then Cinder chased it. And it, she was about here and the coyote turned around and grabbed her. Are you a happy puppy? In October, a Coquitlam family lost their new puppy, Peach, to a coyote attack. High five! Oh. Just two days after the dog arrived. She said, Mom, a coyote. And I looked over in the direction of the puppy just in time to see it snatched up and killed and then ran off. It was pretty terrifying. The most traumatic part was coming back and seeing the two of them because um, they witnessed the whole thing as well. Bale says his dog isn't the only one to disappear in recent days, but he doesn't blame the coyotes for their behavior. Not because the coyotes are bad, it's because they're too familiar and, um, and, it has, and people are throwing stuff out and they're picking up on it and they, they, their food source is here and also... This time of year, there's a lot less food for them. Global News reached out to the BC Conservation Service and a spokesperson confirmed several coyote calls have been received from the Port Moody area. One animal was identified and euthanized on Wednesday. The public is reminded to keep garbage locked up, keep dogs on leash and cats inside. As for John, the loss of Cinder comes with even more emotion because she belonged to his 40-year-old daughter, Candace. It's my daughter's dog and she passed on at the end of uh, October, but this happened and now she's gone where my daughter went. Julia Foy, Global News. Two suspects are now charged and two others remain at large after a chaotic crime spree in the Tri-Cities last month. 22-year-old Kwabina Bosayako and Omar Dimitris are each accused of robbery in connection with the November 22nd incident that began at the Journey-approved car dealership in Port Coquitlam. Staff say three masked men armed with guns walked in and stole keys, wallets and cell phones while another suspect sat in a getaway car. The suspects fled in a stolen Mercedes and a shootout began with RCMP blocking intersections during the afternoon commute. The Mercedes crashed on Highway 1 near the King Edward overpass. Police say one suspect was arrested on scene and another was caught in Surrey after carjacking a vehicle. RCMP continued to search for the two suspects still on the loose. Both Bosayako and Demetrius remain in custody pending a court appearance on Monday. While there is a war raging in Ukraine, there is another war being waged in this country, and it's for hearts and minds. Paul Johnson now with more on what's being described as a sophisticated Russian disinformation campaign targeting Canadians. A lot of it is like throwing spaghetti against a wall and seeing what'll stick. Marcus Kolga is one of Canada's top researchers in this spaghetti-throwing propaganda technique. An amusing metaphor if it weren't so sinister. Check out this one storyline he mapped out. The Russian website RT planting the seed that their invasion of Ukraine was about denazification. The bogus story gets picked up by a couple of blogs, then gets further amplified in social media by people who probably aren't aware the source of the story was most certainly the Kremlin itself. The ultimate aim, of course, is to uh, break down our support for Ukraine, but also to target our democracy. Since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Kolga says Moscow has massively ramped up its decades-old mastery of agitprop, 
And Canadians, he says, need to know we're right in the crosshairs of Putin's disinformation campaign. ways to defend ourselves against these attacks. At a presentation in Vancouver, Kolga gave examples of Moscow's lies. Among the most preposterous is that Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland is a closet Nazi sympathizer and that Ukrainians control Canada's foreign policy. He says Moscow has also tried to convince people that inflation has been caused by Western sanctions against Russia. There's a connection to it, and the connection is, is that Russia invaded Ukraine. Well, Canadians need to be wary of Russia's tricks. There's others as well. Iran's Press TV and China's Global Times might pop up in your social media looking like legitimate news outlets. But they're all controlled by their governments and come from countries with no freedom of the press. These are all platforms that uh, a lot of the time are promoting disinformation uh, and false narratives targeting Canadians and our understanding of geopolitics. Paul Johnson, Global News. A return today to something we haven't seen much of since the early days of the pandemic, a so-called freedom convoy and rally. A dozen or so pickups left from Langley this morning for a rally at the Vancouver Art Gallery. Despite most mandates now lifted in Canada, most of the slogans on the vehicles were anti-Trudeau and anti-vaccine and spoke of conspiracy theories involving the World Economic Forum. Still ahead, increasing cultural safety. The new support for Indigenous harm reduction in Kelowna as part of a federal project to help address the toxic drug crisis. And later... They tried to suppress the uprising in Iran. A powerful protest in Vancouver calling for stronger action against human rights abuses in Iran. First Nations people are estimated to die due to toxic drugs at a rate more than five times more than that of non-First Nations people. Now a new Indigenous harm reduction program in Kelowna aims to help address the drug toxicity crisis in a culturally safe way. Jaden Wozni has more. The city of Kelowna will soon be offering a specifically indigenous harm reduction service through the Kelowna Friendship Society and several other outreach organizations. The city received a $662,433 grant through Health Canada's Substance Use and Addictions Program. I think it's a, it's a good step forward. Harm reduction is a, a path towards, I believe, recovery. I think that would be an end goal that every person that suffers with addiction might want to go towards. An Indigenous harm reduction team featuring a nurse, social worker and two Indigenous peer navigators will deliver harm reduction supplies and cultural support to people who use illicit substances. Indigenous elders and other specialists will also be involved. I myself could not uh, sustain my own recovery until I started reconnecting with the cultural supports in my support circles. So to have our peers and to have uh, professionals delivering those services that come from the same cultural background, oh, what a bonus. Last year, over 7,500 Canadians died as a result of opioid addictions and the toxic drug supply. In BC, Indigenous people are dying at a rate five times higher than non-Indigenous people. 
In a release, the West Bank First Nation says it is a positive step forward that the federal government is recognizing the need for cultural safety in the provision of health services, particularly harm reduction. There is definitely a need for reduced stigma and racism that Indigenous peoples face within the healthcare system. Addictions worker Renee Patel says this funding will no doubt save lives, but he still feels more is needed. We'll see how it goes. Like, it's a good start, though. They need more money. We need more supports, even at the nation level here. The program was developed with the help of local Indigenous groups and will be rolled out over the next two years. Jaden Wozni, Global News. Coming up, cleared by the court, why a B.C. judge has acquitted a Prince George nightclub accused of breaking several COVID-19 rules and reaction to the decision. And later. There is a great sense of shock. Tributes pour in for a prominent U.S. soccer journalist who died while covering a World Cup match in Qatar. A Prince George nightclub accused of breaking several COVID-19 rules has been cleared by the courts. CKPG's Caden Fanshaw has the story. It was a pandemic party last February. Video blatantly posted publicly to social media by the Lambda Cabaret shows the scenes inside that nightclub. Basically a, a slap in the face to some of the healthcare workers have been working so hard for so long. The result was several charges put forward by Northern Health for breaching COVID-19 health orders that landed in court. All now to be thrown out by Judicial Justice Brent Adair due to what he called a lack of sufficient evidence. I can tell you... This is big news, not just for Prince George, but for Canada. And, um, you know, and you have a lot of very, very happy people in Prince George right now. The defense lawyer even admitting she thought she was going to lose this case. One, she says, now sets a precedent. It's really marking a new chapter in Canada, in my view, in terms of um, the ability of businesses to operate uh notwithstanding various um, sort of health regulations that um, will be coming down, you know, in Canada. Northern Health did respond to the results, saying they're disappointed, adding it was well within Northern Health's view it had reasonable evidence necessary to support the enforcement of the tickets issued, adding they're now reviewing the decision in order to better understand how this result came to be. Others in the legal field, however, are not so surprised. It was inevitable that some cases would not stick um, and some convictions would not uh, would not stick for these cases. So it's not surprising that there are acquittals. This is especially because in British Columbia, we have a very high standard, both for prosecution to continue with charges, as well as for judges to find somebody guilty. As far as any precedent this case could set, don't think so fast, says Lee. Just because these people were found not guilty related to this event does not mean that every COVID-19 trial is going to result in an acquittal or is going to lead to prosecutors withdrawing outstanding charges. As the criminal lawyer says, you can't just take videos off of social media and call it evidence. Caden Fanshaw, CKPG News. In health matters, the B.C. Federation of Labour is calling on the province to increase the number of paid sick days. Currently, eligible workers get five provincially mandated sick days. Calls are being made to increase that to 15. In early January, B.C. became the first province in Canada to legislate five days of paid sick leave with some conditions. The Federation says the 90-day employment requirement unfairly impacts those without a steady job. 
But the reality is, is that we know that when people are sick and they go to work sick that and they uh, cause their coworkers to be sick as well, the actual cost of that is quite impactful and actually probably costs more uh, to a, an employer or a business to have to potentially, as we saw during COVID, shut their whole business down because everyone in the work site is sick. Coming up, protesters in Vancouver call for action against the Iranian regime on this Human Rights Day. But first, high demand at an annual event to help those in need in Vancouver's downtown east side. All the latest news. All the latest updates. Get it first. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Get it at 11. Global News at 11. Well, if this is the weekend that you've set aside to string your Christmas lights and you figure it's a big job, then check this out. Our cameraman Pat Bell found a crew lighting up a construction crane at the new North Vancouver Recreation Complex on Lonsdale. It takes the four employees from Velocity Cranes about three to four hours to hang the approximately 12 to 1300 feet of lights. They do 30 or more of these projects each Christmas. And they tell us, obviously, a fear of heights is not an issue with any of the crew members. And now to another person who doesn't have a fear of heights, <laughs> Yvonne Shell, known to be seen climbing on the side of yeah. buildings. As long as you're tethered, it's okay. Yeah, but watching those guys on the crane, I'm very impressed. It's, it's a, a different experience. Exactly, yeah. exactly. All right, let's take a look at the forecast. What can we expect, Yvonne? Uh, we are still looking at soggy conditions. Neithu, it's nice to have you here with us. Joining us tonight, uh, we are still seeing a few waves of moisture, and that'll continue overnight and leading in towards the morning hours. It's been unsettled. We had some heavier rainfall this morning and a few flurries, especially for higher elevations. We could even see a wave of rain, though, just along the eastern edge of the island with an additional 50 and up to 30 millimeters. Now, overnight tonight, we'll hang on to a chance for some drizzle. We'll see that in towards the morning hours, mainly cloudy. A few isolated showers may pop up through the day tomorrow, but lighter precipitation, and it'll be pleasant with temperatures even getting up to seven. Average for this time of the year sits at six. Area that we're still seeing the rainfall warning, that's for the eastern regions from Campbell River down and towards Comox, so we could see up to 30 millimeters. That's possible across the region, and a big concern if you're traveling along the Kootenai Pass. We still have a snowfall warning with an additional five and up to 10 centimeters. We've seen a significant amount of snow uh, for areas along the Sea to Sky. We showed that at the top of the hour with the Tantalus. That's just uh from Squamish between Brandywine with up to 30 centimetres. There's a weather station that's reported there. Brandywine got up to 15 centimetres in the Kootenai Pass with upwards of 10 centimetres. It's the Kootenai Pass that'll still be a concern this evening, five and up to 10. And if you're travelling along the Sea to Sky, we're just still seeing up to two centimetres, but the bulk of the snow has eased off and there is an improvement on the way if you're travelling along the mountain passes. Northern half of the province, though, plenty of sunshine, beautiful weather picture through the day for tomorrow. Inland a bit chilly though with Smithers just getting up to minus 10 as a daytime high. A few flurries in the mix for the early morning hours. That'll be across the central interior. The southern interior, it's really higher elevations. A few flurries and then a clearing as we get in towards the afternoon. Cooler tomorrow for the Thompson Okanagan with Kelowna just getting up to the freezing mark. Whistler, we'll see a few flurries lingering for the morning hours uh, and temperatures just getting up to one and across the island some bright spots. Port Hardy getting up to three degrees. Victoria with highs closer to six.
Along the for lower mainland, we are going to see still a bit of drizzle in the mix. Should ease off, though, it's a mainly cloudy sky. Bright spot, though, but chilly in our long-range forecast. Monday onwards, we've got plenty of sunshine in the mix, but keep in mind, temperatures through the day just getting up to three as a daytime high, and those overnight lows below the freezing mark. Blip in the forecast looks to be on Tuesday with a chance of showers, and then rebounding once again. Looks like we'll have plenty of sunshine as we get in towards our Monday onwards. Nithu? All right, consistent threes throughout. You Thanks bet. very much, Yvonne. Hundreds of people lined up on Vancouver's downtown east side today for an event that warmed both the heart and the body. The ninth annual Employ to Empower provided warm clothing and items like sleeping bags and blankets to those in need. Our Michael Newman was there. I'm here at the ninth annual Vancouver Street Store at Oppenheimer Park, a pop-up event bringing dignity and connection in the downtown east side community. Take a look. Thank you. The street store provided a dignified shopping experience where community members facing challenges can choose 10 items they need, from weather-appropriate clothes, toques and accessories, all for free. So we really get to actually like, get to know some of the residents here, some of the barriers that they face, and also you know, what is actually useful to the residents in this community. So I think this place at Oppenheimer Park really brings people together and has have that sense of belonging and connection that we've been, it's been sorely missed over these past few years over the pandemic. Volunteers acted as Sales associates respectfully helping the estimated over 700 residents get what they need, including an opportunity for a free haircut from VCC student stylists. For me personally, well, it, it feels invigorating again that the city's back on track. I'm sure I'm not the only one that felt really depressed when um, we had to stay in. We weren't allowed to even talk this close, right? Put on by Employ to Empower, a nonprofit focus on empowering residents in the downtown east side, this event aims to wrap folks in the community with the warmth of winter clothes and the compassion of the greater community during this holiday season. In my humble opinion, there's nothing like really, you know, pressing the flesh, shaking hands and really connecting with people and having that great conversation. So, you know, just being able to connect with folks one-on-one, -on -one, human to human, uh, especially in this holiday season uh, when it's kind of cold out, kind of, kind of gross out, but, uh, and just to be able to give back and contribute, it's been phenomenal. And is this what you're wanting today as well, Michael? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. Michael the, Newman, Global News. Like unicorn style. Oh, great to see that turnout there as Barry DeLay joins us for a preview of what is coming up in sports, Barry. Me too. Good to have you back. It's, it is the holidays, so we welcome uh, our friends home. So <laughs> there you go. Musical Good to chairs. Back. Yes. <laughs> Good to have you back. Well, Canucks are uh, back at it tonight, trying to extend their win streak to four tonight against Minnesota. So we'll hear from Coach Bruce as we uh, tee up that game. And uh, what else going on? Some other NHL, of course, the World Cup quarterfinals. Uh, England fans might still be... Drowning their sorrows a bit after what happened, but uh, the surprise has to be Morocco. They are through to the semis, first African nation ever to get that far. And by the way, Croatia and Morocco, two teams in Canada's group, are in the final four. So Canada was really in the toughest group of all. So that will have highlights of those coming up as no well. Kidding. Okay. Before all of that, though, helping first responders help others. The idea is that we're going to practice training this Ukrainian audience and then bring those skills to first responders in Ukraine. How an Alberta group is teaching a team to train Ukrainian police officers and firefighters in the new year. It is International Human Rights Day and it was marked in Vancouver with another rally in support of human rights in Iran. Freedom for Iran! Freedom for Iran! 
Today's gathering at the art gallery taking on even greater urgency with the Islamic regime in Tehran beginning executions of demonstrators this past week. The Vancouver protesters questioning what they call the inhuman judicial process in Iran and urging Canada and other countries around the world to take an even stronger stance against human rights abuses. I lost six family members in myself and my wife. She was in the prisoner. I was twice on the prisoner. That's why it's my obligation to come in and rise to let the Canadian know why we suffer, why we are here and how much we suffering during these 43 years. The first demonstrator to be executed in Iran was just 23. A prominent doctor is among those awaiting execution. An Alberta firefighter organization is sending a team to Ukraine in the new year to provide medical training and supplies to first responders. Global's Nicole Stilger has more on the effort and the help that's still needed. Edmonton firefighter Stephen Ferry is teaching this group of Ukrainian volunteers how to treat traumatic injuries. We're going to practice training this Ukrainian audience and then bring those skills to first responders in Ukraine. Ferry is part of a group of four from Firefighter Aid Ukraine going to that country in January, where the NATO-supported Tactical Combat Casualty Care Course will be taught to Ukrainian police officers and firefighters. Hemorrhage control on the battlefield is a basic skill. So if we can give that to them, that increases the chance of survivability from deadly bleeds like drastically. The hope, once overseas, is to train about 70 first responders, who can, in turn, train others. If we can just give back a little bit of good to the earth with this, then, then that would be nice. Kirilo Daytar was a doctor in Ukraine and came to Canada in September. I was like instructor in first aid in Ukraine in my town in Kharkiv. He hopes by participating and giving feedback, it helps the effort and ultimately his people back home. First responders are like a family, and that doesn't change just because they're in another country. Firefighter Aid Ukraine has been helping first responders in that country since 2014 by sending equipment and medical supplies. But because of the conflict, that effort has ramped up substantially, with the organization sending nearly 100 tons of equipment since the start of the war. We work very closely with the state emergency services and the different departments to figure out what their need is. To keep supporting that need, Firefighter Aid Ukraine is looking for donations. The cost of this trip is about $60,000. For all of us, it's a calling to go and to help, and that's what Firefighter Aid Ukraine is all about, is, is helping um, first responders and, and helping them help citizens of Ukraine. Nicole Stilger, Global News. Tonight, as millions of sports fans and players around the world are cheering on the quarterfinals of the World Cup, they're also mourning the death of renowned sports journalist Grant Wall. The 48-year-old American collapsed suddenly Friday in the press box at the stadium. Jennifer Johnson has the latest. 48-year-old Grant Wall was surrounded by other journalists covering the nail-biter between World Cup powerhouses Argentina and the Netherlands when he collapsed. It was obviously that someone was in trouble, though I didn't know at the time that it was Grant. They, uh, you know, worked with him for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes before he was uh, taken on a stretcher. Officials say Wall may have suffered a heart attack or a pulmonary event. Wall had written earlier in the week that a cold had turned into something more severe in his upper chest. Medical personnel at the World Cup had given him antibiotics. His death has shocked many top athletes, including LeBron James, who was in high school when Wall first started covering him. Anytime his name will come up, I'll always think, think back to me as a teenager and having Grant um, you know, in our building um, down at St. V. So um, it's a tragic loss. 
Wall was attending his eighth Men's World Cup and had high hopes for Team America. I don't think this U.S. team fears any other team in the tournament. Wall was often vocal about Qatar's laws banning homosexuality. Last month, he was detained upon entering the stadium for wearing a T-shirt featuring a rainbow design and refusing to change it. U.S. soccer writing Grant's belief in the power of the game to advance human rights was and will remain an inspiration to all. And U.S. women's national team star Megan Rapinoe tweeting, This is so devastating. Many in the U.S. credit Wall with soccer's growth and popularity when he was covering the game for Sports Illustrated. He built a career reporting on the sport he loved and died covering its biggest event. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. The Orion spacecraft is almost back home after a 25-day mission around the moon. That means preparations are well underway in San Diego, where the American crew tasked with retrieving the capsule is ready to go. Three, two, one, boosters in ignition. Space travel has captured the imagination of some of these San Diego-based sailors since they were kids. Super excited. It's an experience that you can't really say or explain to most people because nobody can really say they've done it before. Sunday, they'll be part of the history-making NASA Navy recovery team on board USS Portland that's homeported in San Diego. The amphibious ship will recover and temporarily house the Orion space capsule when it splashes down after 25 days in orbit. You know, practicing, staying, you know, keeping everything refreshed and ready to go and, you know, making sure I'll square it away and do exactly what I need to do. This is video of his six-boat team training for the mission recently here in San Diego. Foster's boat will be the one towing the unmanned Orion capsule to USS Portland. It was a little bit more challenging than what you know I was expecting, but at the same time, I was like, okay, I did it a couple of times. Like, All right, this is easy. I know exactly you know what I need to do with both my engines to actually make it work and manipulate it how I need to. I'm the primary lookout on board uh, on the bridge. Ensign Adam Renier is in charge of helping to safely navigate USS Portland within about six miles of the capsule once it hits the water. So we have the helmsman driving, we have the quartermaster of the watch navigating and making uh, sure that we're in the right spot. We'll have the officer of the deck who's overall in charge and the junior officer of the deck is uh, tracking the radar picture and other contacts. They not only bring it in with the ship, but there are divers that do all of the hands-on work with the capsule and then the helicopter squadron we use takes all of the re-entry data. Um, which is important because if we don't get that data, we can't fly crew on Artemis 2. Once the crew tows the capsule close enough to the Portland, line handlers will attach cables to help reel it into the ship's well deck, a sort of enclosed dry dock that can be flooded or pumped dry. I'll be right on the ship uh, orchestrating community. Bosun made first class Timothy Aquasa will help manage that operation. Making sure it would actually not hit the sides because you don't want to damage that, that heat seal, right? Falling parachutes and debris, as well as radiation emitted from the capsule, are among the dangers to anyone who tries to get too close. So it's actually been connected to something like that. It's a big team effort with hundreds of crew members involved, taking a small step towards one giant leap for mankind's return to the moon. Barry's back with a full sports cast after this break. He'll tee up the Canucks' attempt of four wins in a row as Vancouver plays Minnesota for the second time this season. Help give kids in Surrey the care they need today. 
Support Surrey Hospitals Foundation's match campaign so patients aren't forced to leave Surrey for medical care. Every donation made before December 31st will be matched up to $200,000. Visit the Sea to Sky Gondola this holiday season. From decorated forest trails to hot chocolates and sunset snowshoe tours, experience winter at 885 meters above House Sound. SeaToSkyGondola.com for details. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Our BC is brought to you in part by the Salvation Army. Join the army of givers and give to a Christmas kettle this holiday season. All right, Barry's back with sports, and Barry, my lucky number is four. It is. The question is, can the Canucks do it? <laughs> well, they have to play a much better team tonight than mm. they've had during the first three, so they got to pull up their uh, hockey socks <laughs> tonight. Thanks, Nithu. Good to see you again. The uh, Canucks go for their lucky fourth straight win tonight against visiting Minnesota. If the Canucks win in regulation, it would actually jump over the uh, Wild in the standings. The Wild are coming off back-to-back -back losses in Alberta against the Flames in Edmonton, including a 5-2 setback versus the Oilers last night. Canucks have uh, been in some wild shootouts their last two games, winning 7-6 and 6-5, both in overtime. But playing that fire wagon hockey against Minnesota likely won't be a good outcome for the Canucks. Minnesota's a quality team that will certainly punish the Canucks if they are in a giving mood with the puck. They're a hard-working team. They're big, they're strong, and they're going to probably come in here a little angry. So, I mean, it's... Uh, um, they're an upper echelon team. I think, I don't know how many points they had last year, 110 or so. So, I mean, uh, uh, we know it's, uh, we have to put our best foot forward and we can't play as loose as we did uh, the last couple games and expect to win if we're against these guys. It's really important because for the next three days, we're not gonna be able to gain any points and teams will be gaining points because they're playing. So, I mean, uh, when you do have the games, you've got to take advantage of it. And tonight's one of those games we just have, have to take advantage of it and, and just keep creeping up a little closer and closer. And, and uh, when we get there, we, we get there. NHL tonight, Nazem Kadri and the Flames taking on the Leafs in Toronto. Leafs strike quickly on the power play. Austin Matthews with his 15th with that patented wrister past Dan Vladar. 1-0 Leafs. Flames, they'll come back. They tie it, then take the lead, and it is the former Leaf. Nazem Kadri with the ripper, his 11th. 2-1 Flames in front, but the Leafs will tie it up. Mitch Marner got an assist on this goal by William Nylander. Marner extends his franchise record point scoring streak to 22 games, 2-2 after one. Second period, Flames will take the lead again. They hit the post here, but they stay with it. Trevor Lewis hammers it past Matt Murray, and it's 3-2 Calgary, but the Leafs get it right back. This game has been back and forth. It's Matthews out front to William Nylander for his second of the game. It went off of Chris Tanev and in. It's 4-4 right now, very late in the third. And Kings and Canadians from Montreal. L.A. just five points up on the Canucks. First period, uh, Kings take the lead. Kevin Fiala, really nifty little feed from behind the net to Andre Kopitar. His quick shot finds the back of the net. It's 1-0. And just 19 seconds later, the former had Philip Dano to Victor Arvidsson. He beats Jake Allen. Habs wearing the all-blues tonight. It didn't work for them. They fall 4-2 to L.A. Last night in Abbotsford, festive spirit with the Abbey Canucks hosting the Manitoba Moose. Canucks winning four in a row before this game, and the team's top scorer kept lighting the lamp. Lane Peterson with a couple on the night to push his season total to 14. And then the big Swede, Linus Carlson, on a solo mission here. 
He fires the Rister home, adding to the Abbotsford lead. Maybe we'll see Carlson up with the big team soon. He is a big body with some scoring touch. Will Lockwood also had a couple in this game as well. It was all Abbotsford as they beat Moose, uh, the Manitoba Moose 7-0, and they play again tonight in Abbotsford. It's a 7 o'clock start, and we'll have highlights of that one tonight at 11. Well, how tough was Canada's Group F at the World Cup? Well, two of the four teams they played are now in the semifinals. Morocco made history, becoming the first African country to ever make the Final Four. And the defending champions, France, ended England's hopes with a thrilling 2-1 win in the last of the quarterfinals today. And we have got highlights. Harry Kane and England looking to get to the semifinals for the second straight World Cup. They're 2-0 all-time versus France in the World Cup. The French get the early jump, and it's a fantastic strike from Aurelien Chouameni. 1-0 France at the half. Now, early in the second half, Chouameni with the hard foul in the box, and a penalty is awarded to England, so it's Harry Kane, the captain, takes it against his uh, Spurs teammate Hugo Lloris, and Kane thumps it home with conviction. It's 1-1, but back come France. It's another great goal from Olivier Giroud, France's all-time leading scorer with 53 goals for his country, 2-1 France. But amazingly, the French with another hard tackle in the penalty area, another penalty awarded after VAR. Can Harry Kane make it two for two? But he shoots and fires over the crossbar. Heartbreak for Harry and England as France win it 2-1. Earlier, earlier, Morocco looking to continue its Cinderella run against Portugal. Cristiano Ronaldo starting the game on the bench for the second straight game. Late first half, the Moroccan strike is Youssef uh, El Nesri elevating way up to head this one home. Morocco celebrate. They lead 1-0 at the half. Morocco has given up just one goal in five matches. That was to Canada. It was an own goal. They've shut out Belgium, Croatia, Spain, and now Portugal as Morocco becomes the first African nation, the first Arab nation, to make it to the World Cup semifinals. So here are the semifinal matchups. It'll be Croatia, Argentina on Tuesday, France, Morocco Wednesday, both 11 a.m. starts. France and Croatia met in the 2018 final, so there is a chance for a rematch. All right, this golf team event, the QBE Challenge, Canadian Corey Connors partnered with K.H. Lee of uh, South Korea. They were just two shots off the lead when the day began, playing alternate shot today. Corey with the second shot on the par five. That's a beauty. They had an eagle chance, ended up settling for birdie. They're four under today, 18 under for the tournament. They're seventh in the 12-team field. The leaders are Charlie Hoffman and Ryan Palmer, 10 under today. They're now at minus 26 after this birdie. A two-shot lead. Tomorrow the format is better ball, which uh, each guy plays his own ball, and they take the lower score. Now, this is the match. Night golf match play from Florida between Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy against Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. A 12-hole match play all under the lights. First hole, Tiger, little clutch birdie putt there to have the hole, so they're still even. Second hole, though, Justin Thomas with the long birdie attempt here to win the hole. And he will knock it in. So Thomas with the, I love the celebration here. Oops, sorry. Not sorry. They're up one up. Uh, next hole, Jordan Spieth. His turn to knock in the birdie putt. This one from about 20 feet. So he and Thomas, two up after just three holes. Plenty of goofing around and trash talking. Rory about to line this putt up here for a par. Just he's about to hit it. Spieth says, no, go ahead, pick it up. 
<laughs> Gets Rory a little out of shape there as he's about to make the stroke, but a lot of really good-natured ribbing in this one. Next hole, though, Rory drains the long birdie. He and Tiger win their first and only hole of the day. It just finished up. Thomas and Spieth win it three and two, but uh, the other great news out of this is they did raise a few million dollars for hurricane relief in Florida. But oh, wow. It's the new golf. They have all of these made-for-TV events, and when they have the big stars out, everyone loves to watch it. Absolutely. That's the best news there. That's all right. right. Thanks very much, Barry. Coming up, a very special shout-out to a Vancouver Island dance duo getting a lot of attention for their talent. Stay with us. Eurythmic singer-songwriter Annie Lennox has given a big shout-out to a pair of Vancouver Island teenagers. Sweet dreams are made of Unreal. Lennox shared this video on her Twitter account today saying, Wowza, I just saw this incredible interpretation of Sweet Dreams. Gentlemen, you're amazing. Thanks for choosing our song. P.S. Who are you? Well, they are Nanaimo's hip-hop duo Funkonometry. We introduced you to Carlo Rush and Jackson Fryer last year as their dancing videos garnered millions of views on the popular social media app TikTok. The pair used the platform to connect with audiences during the pandemic when they couldn't perform live. And boy, oh boy, did it ever work. Incredible. Just amazing, wow. that talent. Very fun to see. Uh, they were performing outside in that last video, so if they were to do that this weekend, <laughs> what can they expect weather-wise, Yvonne? Tomorrow, a bit of an improvement. It was a soggy start this morning. We'll just see a bit of drizzle, lighter precipitation for tomorrow, hoping to see a few breaks in there. And then we've got some sunshine. Keep in mind, though, Monday onwards, it'll be chilly. Overnight lows minus, three, minus one and highs closer to three. So bundle up next week and a few breaks in there for her Sunday. Great advice. All right. Thank you all very much for joining us. Krista Dow will be here at 11. Have a good night.